public prayer is prayer that's done in public or for the public. I've had the privilege of praying at outdoor events, secular events, but how do we pray for our officials? Now, I, I hope you noticed this morning that we're a segregated church. Did you all notice that? What's that little note say in front of you there, Jim? Democrats. So this is the Democrats and this is the Republicans, right? Oh, okay, wait a minute. Okay, now you're not either one. Okay, I'm letting you help figure this out, so we'll just do this, right? Okay, that's, that's good. Now, see, you won't remember anything except the pastor went crazy with which side of the church you sat on this morning, right? Does it really matter? No, it does not. When we talk about prayer, and we talk about the need to pray for public officials, I don't care if they're Democrats, Republicans, liberals, whatever you want to call them, we don't have a choice. Did you know that? We don't have a choice of what we're supposed to do. You might not like them, but you need to pray for them. I'm getting way ahead of myself. How are we supposed to do church? And I know that sometimes I get a little carried away. Even when I'm not feeling well, I can get carried away. But how do we do church? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. That's how church is supposed to be. You know, we have this. If you all try to follow this, you're going to follow the wrong thing sometimes. Because we did... I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you are holy. It says we're going to do you are holy. But my wife wasn't playing that and that wasn't the words we had. Because this is not always right. This book is always right. Okay, Church and everything that we do should be done decently and in order. Let's look at Luke. Luke chapter 18. Somebody actually asked me a question right after I got here about something, and I hope that we'll cover it this morning, if not this week, next week. And it's interesting that when you address a topic somebody asks about, they're not here. So, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, and he spoke this parable with some who trust in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And I have this very visual brain. I've got a short circuit back here that I visualize a Pharisee standing right about here. You know, I'm, I'm one of the religious leaders. And I'm going to stand right here in front of everybody. And then the little tax collector. And I will not send my check to the IRS and let them take their part because they're nothing but tax collectors. I'm telling you, he looked at my notes. The tax collector, that's what God's word says, is that the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, 
God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as <coughs> this tax collector. Does he know the tax collectors back there? Everybody knows. If you work for the IRS, everybody knows who you are. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Is he actually praying a prayer to God? Or is he telling God how good he is? It's like, look at me. Look how good I am. I fast. I give of all of my possessions. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Wow. You know, you ever been in church? I grew up going to church. My dad never, ever went to church that I can, as an adult, I've got a book up in my library, and you were talking about Pilgrim's Progress. Mike, I have that one you can't read that my father was given in Sunday school for perfect attendance in England in the early 1900s. I would challenge you to read it. It's old English. But he never went to church. But Mom took us, and we went to prayer meetings. And I'm telling you, where I grew up, prayer meetings were prayer meetings. Their business meetings were business meetings. You could spend two or three hours in a business meeting and never discuss anything. I, I love the fact that we're going to be gone for the next... I don't like business meetings. I would do as few as I could. I mean, I know we have to have business meetings, but I don't like them. I like a business meeting where everything just goes really well. The church I grew up in, we didn't have a lot of those. But we had a lot of prayer meetings. Every Wednesday night was a long prayer meeting. And as a little kid, sitting there, listening to, and there were some people that, you've heard them, if you've been in the church for a long time, you've heard them, stand up over here and give this flowery, and it's the same prayer every week. You know, it's like, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. See, we know those prayers, right? Lord, thank you for this food, you know. Look out stomach, here it comes, or something, you know. And, and then you have people, when they pray, and I've got that sense here, because I've prayed with some of the men here, that when you pray, you're not doing it for others to hear. You're praying to God, because it's an honest prayer. Now, what was the tax collector's prayer? An honest prayer. The Pharisee that stood here, not so much. How do we pray? I've had people say, I don't know how to pray. And I said, you know how to talk? Do you talk to your best friend? And I have to, I have to caution the students, too, that we have this morning. I was going to caution more of them. This is not talking to your friends. Okay? This is talking to your friends. You know, there's going to be a new disease, and those of you in healthcare, you're going to come up with a new disease, and it's going to be this. I don't know what they're going to call it, but it's going to be thumbs and head neck related because they never look up. We need to look up. 
We need to be praying to God. Now, this is controversial. Who's supposed to pray in church? I heard a little small voice. Who? Just, just me, right? Nobody else. Everybody. Let's see what God's word says. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. I'm very adamant about wearing hats in the house. I wear a hat all the time, except when I'm in God's house. And I don't wear my hat in the house. I grew up a cowboy. You walked in my mom's house with your hat on, my mom knocked your hat off. She didn't mind if you got, and you know, it didn't take long for that to sink in. When you walk in the door, you take your hat off. Those of you who were in the military know that when you walk in a building, you uncover. You walk outside, you put your cover on. That's what they didn't call it a hat, they called it your cover. How do we come to God? We don't cover our heads. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Some people say women should never pray in church. Is that what this says? I've heard, how many of you have heard it? Women should be silent in church. Never pray. Mm. I think that's not what this verse says. I think it's how we come to God in prayer. We're going to look closely at what God's Word says. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy. Some of you, Mary, do you have a, a roast in the oven? Okay. I, I, narrow, I narrow my sermon notes down. Well, see, you're getting the condensed version. I started yesterday when I finally finished my sermon notes. They were 18 pages long. And then they started bouncing back and forth, and I thought, well, y'all aren't up to 18 pages yet. So I condensed it down to 10, and I don't know if we'll get there. But 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm in 2 Timothy. Thanks, Mike. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Verse 1 tells us that we need to have supplications, offering a request for a felt need. You got somebody that needs to be saved, you need to pray for them. You're sick, pray for the sick and the afflicted. We offer a request for a felt need, is what that word supplication is. Our prayers, in that same verse, should be an act of worship. You know, it's not just about the music. It's not just about the preaching. The worship service is everything, including our prayers. Our prayer life should be a time of worship that we're communing with God Almighty. Intercessions. That's a petition. You ever signed a petition? 
or made a petition for someone? That's what this is. We're making petitions. And then it says, and giving thanks. Pretty straightforward. We give thanks. And who does it say? Be made for all men. Those prayers are for all men. For kings and all who are in authority. If you've studied scripture enough, or history, you know that this was a troubling time. Christians, Nero was in power at this time. He blamed the Christians for burning Rome. This was a time of persecution for Christians. But yet, what are we told to do? We're told to pray for them. And all who are in authority. We're to pray for our public officials. I won't ever mention in a service a candidate or a party or who you should vote for. But I will tell you, you should vote. But you ought to spend some time praying before you go to the poll and vote. To know who... And it doesn't matter. You know, 90% of the time, the person I voted for never makes it in office. Because I look at what they stand for, and because if a person stands for Christian values, most of the time they don't make it. But I'm going to vote for them if that's what they stand for. Doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican or vice versa. It doesn't matter. God's word commands us that we pray for all of those. Many, many, many years ago, there was a famous chaplain in the Senate. And somebody asked him, uh, do you, and this is, a, this is a, I copied this out of a commentary. Do you pray for the senators? And his reply is, he says, no, I look at the senators and then I pray for the country. <laughs> this was, this was a, evidently a fairly famous chaplain in the Senate. Think about it. Do you pray for the senators? And his response, no, I look at the senators and then I pray for this country. Is that not what Paul's telling us here? We need to be praying for our country. We need to be praying for those in leadership. And it just really doesn't matter. Because if they're in office, God's let them be there. And we might not agree with them. You might not agree with your boss at work. You ought to pray for him. That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. You know, I told you I'm a Western, old Western guy. And what did they do in the Westerns? Everybody was carrying a six-gun. and if there, Before the marshal came to town, there was lawlessness and stuff. You know what? This government that we have, can you imagine if we had no police officers? Imagine Fairmont, West Virginia right now. All of the police officers walked off the job. What would Fairmont, West Virginia be like in a month? Everybody want to guess? Yeah, we'd all be packing again, wouldn't we? Yeah. We might not always agree with our government, but a government with rules is better than no government at all. Many of us fall short of praying for our government. 
in order. Can you imagine if we spent time every day praying for the leaders so that our lives may be quiet and peaceable in all godliness and reverence? What else do we need to pray for? If, you, if you're watching the media, and I was going to bring an article in, but I shared it with another pastor, and he said, we need to verify this. But, you know, there's persecution going on around the world. Christians are being persecuted today. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs. How many of you have ever seen the magazine Voice of the Martyrs? There's articles that we have seen where on Sunday mornings a congregation will gather together like this. The extremists will board up the doors and windows, cover the church in gas, and burn the whole congregation alive. Going on right now in the world. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters around the world. It could happen here. I don't think in my generation it will happen because I'm praying the Lord will come back. But it could happen. It could happen. The liberals are helping to take care of some of the issues that we deal with. I've got a friend, a really close friend. His first senior pastor was in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And he pastors in a very hot desert place in California now. And every time he preaches on Romans chapter 1, he gets death threats. Not just at the church. They find out where he lives and they call his home and threaten his wife. Because he says, I preach the whole counsel of God. I preach what the word of God says and I know him very well. He's a, one of my closest pastoral friends. And he preaches the truth of the word and he gets death threats. Because people don't like to hear that. Anybody know Al Mohler? Know who Al Mohler is? Albert Moeller, Dr. Moeller, president of Southern Seminary, posted an article this week about a church that was disciplined in their association because they said there's a third way. They took scripture and they came up with a third way of doing things. And after the, the, council, the Southern Baptist Council looked at what this church was teaching, they removed them from their membership roles because they weren't teaching the truth of scripture. John chapter 14 verse 6 says what? I learned this as a kid. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way. But this church is actually proclaimed from their pulpit. There's actually a third way now. <clears throat> and I won't go there. If you want to find out later, I can either give you the article or let you I'll share with you a little bit. But the Southern Baptist Convention disciplined this church and removed them from their membership roles because they took a stand that was contrary to the word of God. The liberals are getting more liberal. If you're following some of the other things that are going on, we see liberalism really getting bad. But I do believe that we might encounter persecution. What about these the cheerleaders that want to pray at a football game? Or the football players? Wasn't there an NFL? I don't have cable, but wasn't there an NFL player recently that was told not to wear his Christian t-shirt for an interview on TV? Who are they to tell him he can't wear a t-shirt? Who is anybody to tell us that we can't do that? Okay. You think Paul experienced persecution? Yeah. Yeah, but 
God says we need to pray for our leadership. John 13, or John chapter 3, and these are very familiar verses, I know. But what do we need to do? John chapter 3, verse 15 says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You know, we teach the kids three, you know, and, and if you go back one verse before that, and I didn't give that to Sue, but it says, I, if I remember right, as Moses was lifted up, uh, lifted up the serpent, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Christ went to the cross for us. Persecution? What are we going to endure that he hasn't already endured for us? First Timothy chapter 2. I must have missed a page here somewhere. Couldn't have gone to miss too many. Verse 3 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that's where we, we come in with John 3, 15 and 16. What is his desire? All men will be saved. That could have been part of last week's Sunday school lesson from Mike, talking about those that are going to be saved and those that are not. Does God know who's going to be saved? Yeah, if you believe he's an all-knowing God. We can't, so what are we told to do? We're told to go and preach the gospel to the whole world. And I was thinking this, I, was, I worked on these till after midnight last night because I couldn't sleep, and all of a sudden it dawned on me, how are we going to take the gospel to the world? Anybody know what HCJB is? Just four letters, right? Years and years and years and years and years ago, there was some men who decided that we needed to proclaim the gospel throughout the world. And they went to Quito, Ecuador. And they planted a radio station. HCJB Radio. Heralding Christ Jesus Blessing. And when you look up, you'll see a mountain. And we've actually been over that mountain. It's about 14 or 15,000 feet in elevation. Uh that you go over is where their antenna farm is. And they actually, from that one spot in Quito, Ecuador, can proclaim the gospel around the world so that all will hear. And they have people that translate it in all kinds of languages. They have some of the best-known Christian pastors from this country that send messages down there, and they're translated, and they're heralding Christ Jesus' blessing. Isn't that, isn't that cool? so that all the world will hear the gospel. So that all men might be saved. That's what it says. Our God and Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We're teaching the young people on Sunday night the truth of the gospel. We're starting in Genesis chapter 1. Actually, we started before that. This is God's word. Where did it come from? And last week, we didn't get real far in the beginning and then talked about who God was. 
We need to understand who God is. Lay that foundation. Come to the knowledge of the truth. How do we get there? We study God's word. We ask God to reveal stuff to us. I don't know, I was sitting there doing my morning readings this week, my morning devotions, and man, it was, something popped out at me, and I'm like, whoa, I've never seen this before. And I read through the Bible once a year. And it was like, wow, there's something new. No, it's not new. I just didn't see it the last two or three or four or five times I read it. Because there's nothing new. It's just that we haven't seen it before. And so, you know what? This little button right here, most of you can't see it, but it says MIT. I'm a missionary in training. That was one of how we got involved in full-time mission work was through a program uh, called Missionary in Training. And I'm still in training because I still learn every day. I'm growing in my knowledge of Him. We should, every one of us should find something new from Scripture that we can apply in our lives every single day. Verse 5 says, there, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Wow. You realize in the time of the writing of this book, there were many false religions, much like there are today. There were pagan religions, many gods, but there is only one God, the Creator. One mediator between God and men, and that's Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament times, there were many priests. Now, I don't want you to get excited, Ron. I don't need a booth built back here. I, I could just see him, you know. One, They had a lot of priests. There are churches today where you go to the priest to get him to talk to God. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that because we have one God and he, he is the mediator between God and man. It's Christ Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for you and for me. I don't have to pick up my cell phone to get hold of him. I don't have to pick up that red telephone to get hold of him. All I have to do is talk to him, pray to a holy God. You ever wondered? Sometimes when you hear some of those big, long, flowery prayers at these prayer meetings, does God just sit up there and go, Oh, here we go again. You ever wonder? He hears all of our prayers. Even the ones that are boring. He hears them because He knows the heart. He knows whether it's His sincere prayer. How do we go? We have to go sincerely to a holy God. We need a, pre a mediator. We don't need a priest. We have the great high priest. We see Job 9.33. Now, is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both? Can you imagine Job wanting someone to reach down and hold his hand and make mediation for him to God? That's what Jesus Christ is doing right now for us. I know Ron wanted to build a little booth back here with a little sliding door, but no, we don't need that. I do have a project for you, though. So. 
Yeah, Job's crying, is there someone that could mediate for me? Aren't you glad that our mediator is sitting at the throne, right hand of the throne of God, interceding for you and me? I tell you, I'm here today because God heard prayers. According to the medical profession, I should not be here. And, yeah, we won't go there about life support. But anyway, most of you have heard that. Can you imagine God listening to us, listening to our prayers? Did I get you that book, Mike, on the prayers of the Bible? Okay. Can you imagine God, how patient? He's got to have so much patience. Most of us in this room would not have the patience that God has to deal with us. Can you imagine the children of Israel? Here's the promised land. Go in and take it. Well, Lord, we want, you know. And they keep coming back to him. And he keeps saying, go take it. And then for 40 years, he has to guide them around. He was patient with them. Look around at our society today. You know, uh, I was talking with Pastor Huckins the other day, and he's like, you know, you're not going to have to worry about finding a house. He said, the Lord's coming back soon. And uh, I believe that. I believe he's coming back when we look at the things that are going around us. But he has dealt with each one of us. He hears our cries. He hears our petitions when we send them up. You see Acts 4.12? Now is there any salvation? Is there salvation in any other? For there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name. One mediator, Christ. He is the only way. Mike beat me to it. I was going to put it something out on the board, but he already beat me to it, or going to put beat me to it this week. You know, one way. We stand on the truth of Scripture, there's one way. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 6 says, Who gave himself a ransom for all. Most of us have probably never had to pay a ransom to get a loved one back. Oh, and I never had enough money that anybody kidnapped anybody in my family, but that's a redemptive price. You know, I don't use pawn shops. I hope pray I never have. I, I like to go shopping in them because they have some good deals sometimes. But if you put something in a pawn shop and you go to redeem it, you have to pay them more than they loaned you. That's the, the ransom that you pay to get your possessions back. What was our, the price for our ransom? It was Christ's death on the cross. You and I were lost. And he was our ransom. In verse 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, or 1 Timothy chapter 2 says, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. 
I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul was appointed. We see in almost every one of his Gospels where he proclaims that he was appointed or he was commanded or something. Uh, I'm going to turn over just a couple pages. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Almost every letter of Paul starts out that way. How do we know Paul wrote them? Because he addresses who he is and what his authority is to do this. But he said he was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And that preacher, the word for preacher, and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the King James says he was ordained. Mark's got to pick his King James up. But ordained is the word that they use instead of appointed. And it means the same thing. And Paul says he was appointed a preacher and an apostle. Referring to one who gives out the gospel. And I really thought if I had a megaphone this morning, or I thought about getting one of the little cones that we use, and just walking up the back aisle and scaring everybody this morning, just heralding some truth or something. But I thought that might be a little over the top. But it means to herald or to trumpet. One who is giving out the gospel. And Paul says he had been appointed as one to declare the gospel. And then he says, I am speaking the truth. He's talking to Timothy. He wrote a letter to Timothy. He shouldn't have had to say, I'm telling you the truth, but he does. He says, it might seem a little strange, but they're friends. Timothy's a young preacher, but he's saying, this is an encouragement to him, that I am speaking the truth. And Timothy knows it's the truth, because he'd been with him long enough. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He's, he's always said he's an apostle to the Gentiles, and here he's saying he's not only an apostle, but he's also the one who's teaching the Gentiles. What are we doing today? Who's Jewish in here? No? No, no Jewish people? Oh, I'm, I'm hurt. You know, with my last name, I'm bound to be Jewish. You saw my dad and my brother and their little yarmulke bald things going on back here, short, round, big nose. You'd think we were definitely Jewish. And there has been some question whether my family went to England, my dad came here from England, whether they were there because of persecution of the Jewish, but we have no way of knowing that. But uh, So what are we doing as Gentiles today? We're teaching other Gentiles because we're not Jewish. So Paul's saying... He is going out to teach the Gentiles in faith and trust. Verse 8 says, I desire that all that the men pray everywhere. Now guys, read the next part of this verse. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Have you ever wanted to, in a service sometime, just hold your hand up? And there's all kinds of people that ways of holding your hands up. You know, you can do this, you know, the weightlifters, you know. I don't want anybody to see, but I want to do this. And then there's the one that's, yes, praise the Lord. 
You ever want to do that? I want to do that sometimes when we're singing. And Sharon and I met in a gospel singing group, and the guys in the group were from all different, I mean, all pretty conservative groups, but we sang in a lot of interesting churches sometimes. And there are songs in your hymnal, probably, that they've changed the words from the original writing because some of the songs say lifting holy hands, and they've changed it to lifting holy hearts because we don't often lift we're not that way but what does God tell us to do lift it says desire that the men pray everywhere lifting up holy hands you know what if you want to lift your hand up in church I don't care it doesn't bother me but I've been in services we've got we've got a couple we got friends in California I'd go that way more often but I can't get over there um, we got friends in California, and she was actually raised just a few hours from here in West Virginia, and they are two of the most conservative people we, I think we know in California. They were high school sweethearts in their, in their 70s somewhere now, and we were at a conference recently, and they were there, and some song came up, and they lifted their hands, and I'm like, oh man, where did that come from? And it didn't offend me, but I know there were people around there going, did you see those people over there? They're lifting their hands up. One of the things, though, but what does it say? It doesn't say lift your hands up just because you can. What does it say? It says lifting up holy hands. If you're going to pray with your hands lifted up, you better make sure that you're doing it right, that your hands are clean. What did the priest do? They wash their hands. We need to make sure that there's no unconfessed sin. When we do communion, we always have a time where we can make sure that we've, we don't have any unconfessed sin before we take communion. If you're looking at this verse, literally, you better make sure if you're lifting your holy hands, men, before God when you pray, that you don't have unconfessed sin in your heart before you go to Him. Confess your sin and then you can raise your hand. It says lifting holy hands. It doesn't say lifting hands. It says lifting holy hands. Every place where believers meet. You know, we need to pray publicly. We Mike talked a little bit about that this morning in Sunday school. I, I mentioned it earlier. You pray when you go out for a meal in a restaurant? Yeah, why not? Are we ashamed? No, we shouldn't be. Pray in public meetings? I think it's great that they pray at football games. I think if we'd see more prayer in public places, we'd see a change in this country. Mike mentioned this morning, it's about time for another great revival. We need to be praying for that. We need to be praying for a revival in this country. Well, I thought I was going to get to how men should pray and how women should pray, but we're not going to finish that this morning. But I would challenge you this week to spend some time. You know, we spend a lot of time doing other things that distract us from our walk with God. We spend some time this week praying. Um, upcoming election. We need to pray for those that are they're running. Pray for wisdom on who to vote for. We need to pray for the leadership. We need to pray for our troops. 
Why are we free? Pat's got a bumper sticker. I've got a window sticker in my truck. Freedom's not free because there are young men and young women all over the world defending the freedoms that we enjoy in this country. We need to be praying for our troops. We need to be praying for those in leadership. Not just government leaders. We need to be praying for the leaders of our churches all over the country. Spend some extra time this week, quality time in prayer. And with that, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the opportunity that we do have to come before your throne of grace with our petitions, with our requests. Father, we, we do pray for our country. We pray for our president. And we pray for those in leadership around us. Father, that you will cause them to see their need to know you as their Savior. We know that your word says that we might pray for them so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. And that your desire is that all men to be saved. And Father, we would pray for the salvation of our president and our vice president and those in the cabinet and the Senate and the House. Father, our local governors local officials, we would pray for their salvation. And Father, I pray that you will put us in contact through different things, avenues that we have to be in contact with those in leadership so that we might see some of them get saved. And Father, that we might see another great awakening in this country. Father, we need to get back to the truth of your word that we might once again be a great nation that's serving one true and living God, which is you. And Father, I just pray today that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that today might be their day of salvation. And we just pray that as we go out into our mission field, that you will just put people in our path that we need to share with today. And we pray this in your most precious and holy name.